It's based on trust, supporting each other, having open communication. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. But today I'm at Gila River Indian Community at the National Tribal Telecommunications Association. And I'm speaking with Kristen Johnson, the Telephone Operations Manager at the Hono Autumn Utility Authority. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I feel like I've met so many great people from TOUA, uh, which I guess and some people just say TO. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So Tohono O'odham, uh Utilities Authority, and um, you have been doing broadband for a while, but let's just start with uh, what is Tohono O'odham? Okay, Tohono O'odham, the meaning behind the name is um, people of the desert. So we're the Thonautham Utility Authority, and our company services electric, water, telephone, propane, internet, and cellular for members of the Thonautham Nation. And the Thonautham Nation is nestled in the southwest Arizona. We are 4,400 square miles, so we're roughly the size of Connecticut. And we have roughly about 70 miles of our land that's adjacent to the U.S.-Mexico border. And you have uh, on the order of 4,000 people on an area the size of Connecticut. Actually, we serve about 4,000 people for broadband and telephone. Our membership, I believe, is around... 38,000. Oh, okay. So you're quite large. Yeah. So like half, about half of that live on tribal lands and the other half live off of tribal lands. So we don't serve everybody with telephone and broadband, um, but we do have about 4,000 members. And that utility does so many different things. Are you serving most of those members then? Yes, absolutely. With something? Yes, yes. And let's, let's talk about how you got into telephone. You're one of the original NTTA members, from what I can tell. I think if you was being old school, there's a lot of newcomers <laughs> coming along. <laughs> how did you get into it? Right. So my predecessors at the time, um, we were under Mountain States, and we had a few party lines that, you know, they served. So in 1986, so about 40 years ago, the tribe chartered us to become a telephone company, we acquired what little plant was available through Mountain States. And then we built our own copper platform based on that to start serving all of the villages. There's 72 villages on our reservation. So we serve all of them with telephone. In um, 1998, we started um, a partnership with, at that time, Cell One, went through Altel and now Verizon. So we're a reseller for them Mm -hmm. for cellular. And then in 1999, we started our ISP. Those are the three major parts of the communication that I oversee. There's other department heads that oversee everything else. You made a comment on the stage that you try to um, do everything that you ask your staff to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I do. I truly believe that um, I would never ask my staff to do something that I couldn't physically or wouldn't do ever do. So, and I hope that they instill that in their staff that, you know, if it's too cumbersome, you know, speak up, let's find resources to help us get there. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, let's try, you know. When did you come into the authority? I started with TOUA um, in 2000. I came in as a customer service representative, and then I became a um, supervisor of our business solution. And then in 2010, I became the operations manager. So I oversee our central office. I oversee our outside plant, our network operations, the ISP, and sales. This is an area that strikes me as just being incredibly difficult. We're talking about an area that is uh, very low density. And trying to serve that, especially back in the day with DSL, must have been a nightmare. 
Yes, yes. We did start out with 56K. Um, and we still have a lot of areas that are underserved, unserved. And um, it is my plan and my goal to have our entire reservation with fiber by the end of 2024. Wow. I thought you might say the end of the 2020s. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we, um, with the help of the Obama administration, we were recipients of the BIP, the ARA grants, mm-hmm. uh, loan grant at the time. So this was after go- the uh, the fallout of the 2008 emergency where yes. yeah, you were, not a lot of tribes got that money. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to make no, sure no, people no, 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 are no. familiar with what time frame we're talking about. No, you are fine. And we built out about 50%, 45, 50%. Um, to our most populated areas. Um, We went idle after the requirement in 2015 for build-out. And then in 2018-19, we started up again to finish off the rest of it. And Mm -hmm. then we have been, you know, very blessed to be recipients of NTIA, uh, Reconnect 3, Arizona Broadband Funding to help us finish out the rest. Well, I think it's got to be one of those things that you're you're blessed, but it's also a matter of having been well prepared because of having made those pre- previous investments and then um, stewarding them along the way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things also from your presentation that I, I wanted to note. Um, uh, one is, I'm, I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit more about, um, were you in 2018 before more money became available? Were you just, um, I don't know if you were getting money from the state or were you just reinvesting some of the funds that you had? How were you paying for the, the resumption in 2018? So we became, um, because we're an ILEC and ETC, incumbent telephone company, and um, we're ILEC, so we're federally regulated. We're not a CLEC, so we don't report to the states. Um, but we receive money through the Connect America Fund, oh, okay. um, too. So we have obligations to build out as well to provide um, speeds of 25 download, 3 megabytes upload. So that's where we're getting a lot of, that's where we started to get a lot of the funding to do that. Mm-hmm. But since we were able to acquire more, we can fast track this and make sure that our tribe is modernized with technology. And so even though you had a kind of a low standard you had to meet, you chose to invest in fiber optics with that. We've seen a number of the smaller uh, non-tribally owned companies do that. And I'm sure there's some other tribes that are, I would hope doing that as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I sometimes hear from people and and they're frustrated at because um, that was is that part of the alternative um, the ACAM model yes the ACAM and um, and I see people saying well that's it's terrible that's a twenty five three minimum and it should be higher and I'm like yeah well most of them are building fiber from what I can tell <laughs> so it's gonna be okay <laughs> yeah because under the legacy that we used to operate on it was the minimum was 10.1, 10 mm-hmm. megabytes download one megabyte upload with the reconnect. Um, three funding, it's 100 megabytes download and I think 20 megabytes upload. So mm-hmm. the standards are increasing. So we hope to be able to keep up with that. We're also building um, a wireless infrastructure. Um, if the pandemic taught us anything, it really displayed our flaws as a company that we weren't able to turn up wireless services mm-hmm. um, at the drop of a hat. So we have been investing in um, we went after the 2.5 spectrum. We received it. So we're pushing that out through a buy sales network. And then in areas that we didn't get the license, we're going with an unlicensed spectrum on the 3.65 under the same. Which I think probably works really well for you. Um, I mean, first of all, for people who aren't familiar with this part of the country, you don't have a lot of water in the air. You don't have a lot of big trees. Um, I will say the density of the cactuses, the saguaros, 
is far greater than anything that I imagined. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. We do have some mountains as well that, you know, but we, for the most part, we weren't looking at a mobility portion of it. We were looking more at something in relation to the village itself. So we were serving the village, not the outskirts, so that everything from that center point or wherever we put the wireless unit will serve the entire community for that village. And how many villages do you have? Like, there are quite a few. We have 72, but yeah. we serve 54 of the 72. Okay. That's just, it's wild to me. I mean, I, um, I, I in December, I was out there with my family um, in, in parts of, of Arizona um, near Tucson. And it, it's just, it's remarkable. And I just, I have to say, like, I mean, I was really excited to see the saguaros and I just had no idea what they were like, but I can't imagine you were just telling me earlier how beautiful it is in May. Um, but I, with getting, getting a, um, avoiding the, the ridges, but getting a tower up, I have to assume that you get very good wireless performance because of, you don't have to deal with like trees, leaves. Um, you know, you just have the ridges really to deal with. I'm guessing other than that, you have pretty good line of sight. I would hope. No, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect mm -hmm. for that setup. And so what kind of capacity can you deliver over the wireless system over the 2.5? Um, right now we're delivering 250 megabytes. Um, it has more capacity than that, but we're, you know, we're still in the early phases of it, just mm -hmm. trying to see what we want to deploy for those areas. And what is the need? Because if we have fiber there, this will just serve as redundancy for that. Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with, um, with payment? Are you, I mean, with utility authority, I'm guessing you charge people for lots of different services. Are you charging for internet access? We are. We're currently charging for internet access um, because the cost to get internet to us is we're getting it through Lumen and it's quite expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so we are part of NECA. So we do follow their tariffs for high cost loop support. Um, and that's NECA for people who aren't familiar. Yes. Which yes. I don't remember what that is. There's actually <laughs> multiple NECAs, but there's a telecommunications NECA that people yes, can yes. look up if they so desire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we are also promoting heavily the ACP, the Affordable mm -hmm. Connectivity Program. We are going door to door. We're sharing that information and getting... Um, our tribal members to take advantage of it because it's a $75 credit off of their internet. So in a lot of cases they can get the internet service for free. Mm -hmm. How are you, how is that working out for you? It's working out great. In the beginning when we were just relying on social media, the radio, those types of things, I think people didn't believe it. It was too good to be true. Who would ever give me $75? Mm -hmm. But as we're going door to door and we're, we're talking to them and sharing this, I think it's more believable. They're they're coming and we're getting about 30 people signed up each month. And are you finding it's an administrative headache to go through that or is the sign-up process working better for you? A mix? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not the one going out door to door. My staff is, but because it leaves us very short staffed, I then pick up the slack in the front mm -hmm. office. So, you know, it's just everybody's wearing multiple hats and mm -hmm. so it's a little bit of both. It's it's great to be out there doing this. And mm -hmm. once it's done, it's done. But in the interim, we just got to bear through it. One of the things that you had mentioned, and I'm, I'm saving my favorite for last. We're going to talk about tribal politics. But before that, you had mentioned uh, something that 
uh, we harp on a lot, which is that uh, you have an older network, and uh, a lot of times older networks don't have great documentation. You don't always know where everything is, and uh, and, I, and we've heard that from others with utilities, um, like the water systems underground, and they don't always have great maps of where it had been. Uh, so you're using the opportunity as you're expanding this network to develop a better map of all of the things you oversee. How does that work? Oh my gosh. Okay, so. Um this started a long time ago, and we've stumbled across it. I mean, just stumbled and, and had obstacle after obstacle. But what we've done is we went through our engineering company, Palmetto. They introduced us to Esri. And for tribal nations um, under BIA, you can get the Esri license for free. Oh, wow. Yes. So we took advantage of that, and we we, um, we use the Esri platform. So we go out when we're designing um, a place for fiber. Um, we have to get everything. So because the water is in our company, the electrics in our company, most of our electric is overhead. So that's easier. The water's unknown. So we're potholing everything and we're collecting that data as we find it. Um, and then we're just keeping everything. I mean, everything we're getting corners of the house, corners of the fence, corners of property, water, um, size of water, old copper, you know, then of course where our fiber is going. So that's all the data that we're collecting. Then we pass it off to our engineering company who then puts that all on the staking sheet so that when we're going out, we don't stand a chance to run into that. We're also noting um, any archeological sites in some of the tr more traditional villages. Mm -hmm. We're able to note that and keep it for us, you know, for future use or future reference. So that hasn't existed. We have a lot of water lines in the ground that we have no idea are there until we hit it. And you heard today, sometimes you flood the yards, you know, we're wasting all this precious water. So we're hoping that by collecting all this data, not just for the water department, but for ourselves that, you know, we can protect it going forward. When you say potholing, my understanding of that is limited. Um, but I'm familiar with it where like if you're coming down a street and you're doing some underground boring, um, generally you'll pothole where you know that utility line is crossing it, but you don't know where your utility lines always are. So how are you doing, you doing the potholing? So what we're doing is we're finding the water meter and we're trying, we're, we pothole mm -hmm. at the water meter and then we we're assuming it's a straight, straight line back. Yep. And so we just, we pothole every five feet just to make sure if it should veer off or tee off mm -hmm. somewhere that we're catching that back to the main. And then the main, then our, um, the main lines, the water department will come in and find those, but the service lines, the lines on the customer property, mm -hmm. we're doing, we're using that method. We don't always do perfect on the customer property because sometimes it's a water hose underground or it's, I don't know, makeshift mm -hmm. piping. Yeah. Anyone who's working with, uh, with <laughs> random people on their homes knows that there's weird things underground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how, that's how we're doing it. Just the high pressure water, you know, opening up the mm -hmm. earth just a little bit enough to see capture the data and then and then we're using um you know survey grade type so that we're within centimeters of what it is when we have it on a map yeah a friend of mine um travis who runs usi fiber in minneapolis he's uh they must have done this to sixty thousand homes now underground and they um the, the, my favorite thing that they've hit so far is uh was an old refrigerator probably like 70 80 years old <laughs> we've hit a lot of burn pits yeah. but <laughs> yeah. we get nervous so then we mm -hmm. have to report them back Mm -hmm. to our cultural preservance office to let them know and give us clearance to right to move on but you had mentioned the saguaros earlier 
we have to be very cautious of those because they're protected plants. Right. Um, so the fines for destroying a saguaro is like 25000 a foot. Wow. And they they have extensive root structures. Yes. Yes. And they yeah. go like 100 feet plus. So yes. 25000 you knock one out and don't report it. <laughs> yes. It's expensive. Yeah, I'm sure that um, that your crews are very careful. I mean, I'm, one of the things I found is people down here, everyone loves the saguaros and wants to make sure because they're, they're they're threatened, um, you know, from multiple ecological changes and things like that. And um, I, I was just I was fascinated to know that um, you you occasionally get freezes, and you can tell that because the saguaros have a and they'll hold that in their history for a very long time. Yep. So, <laughs> so the the fun. The fun question then, which we'll see how much you want to speak to particulars versus uh, being more general. But this is something I'll say, like I got a very hard email from someone that I really liked regarding one um, an issue with tribal politics where someone just really got screwed over. And it was just it sucks to hear. And um, and when I made when I made a mention of that on Monday, uh, there's several people in the room who were just nodding their heads. Um, and so you 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 specifically mentioned this on stage that um, we got to keep politics out of this. So uh, what what brought that to mind? So yesterday on stage, the question was, if there was something, a message I could send myself mm-hmm. when I first got into the industry, what would it be? And I said to avoid tribal politics. Um, just over the years, you know, a lot of times po- um, politicians get into it. And I don't think that in the industry we're in is going to be solved by politics it's more of a technical issue and that's what i meant that you know until you understand it political views political stances aren't going to remedy the problem it has Mm -hmm. to be a a technical remedy right you're you're looking at a technical problem of like of like you have some amount of money we're going to use it to connect this home how are we going to do it in an efficient way and and that's a question for people that are not political to be wrestling with. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, to trust us that, you know, we're doing everything by all means to keep the costs low so that we're not passing on any unnecessary costs to the members mm-hmm. and that we're using the, the money wisely so that we avoid fraud, abuse and waste. Now, I'm curious about this because one of the things that when Matt and I were working on the Tribal Broadband Boot Camps, we, we've really wanted to do is try to avoid any kind of political leadership coming to our events <laughs> because <laughs> we felt like it was so much easier to have, you know, engineers and outside plant people and people who um, are just trying to solve the problem. Like you said, we want them to be connecting with each other across tribes and across um, any other kind of boundaries, whereas political leaders might have reasons not to want to work with this tribe or that tribe or, right. or that sort of a thing. So now I'm hearing that it, some people would like us to do leadership events where we are bringing in um, um, tribal councils. And I'm curious if you would have any advice in terms of, of talking with them about what are what are things to um, that are perhaps unnecessary politics that are brought into this sometimes? Right. So I agree. I think tribal there should be a training for for tribal politics because I don't think they know the boots on the ground effect. You know, getting into some of the the things that you face in mm-hmm. the industry. So so you know, like the switching that takes place. You know, the trenching. There's a place for them in it. You know, when it comes to right-of-ways, when it comes to archaeological sites, to permits. Okay, I get it. But um, I do think that they need to be educated because it's not all about one politics or money. You know, it's 
it's more of a different type of investment. It's a mental investment and it's, you know, something that's going to help us later on. So Mm -hmm. I I do think that they should be educated. I really, really do. Because I think that's where the misconception comes is in their mind, they have this idea formulated that's totally off base. And I would hate to have any tribal leader, you know, speak to it and just be in the in the vision that they don't know what they're talking about. One of the things that came to mind is, uh, I think, a need to help them understand the challenges of working with NTIA. Um, And I think we've lost several people who had told tribal leadership, we're getting this money around this time. And then a year later, the money hasn't arrived and they look like they don't know what they're doing. But it's not their fault. They didn't know that there was going to be these delays, right? We have statutes that say the money will be out by a certain time and there's complications. and, um, And so that's one of those things I feel like, you know, you're a... You have 20 years of experience in this, and I'm, I'm guessing you probably have a sense of when you're telling something that leadership, something will happen. You probably don't tell them that until you have certainty <laughs> that it's really exactly, <laughs> you know, and that and that's true. I mean, um, we have publications because we're a recipient of the Arizona um, Commerce Broadband grant that they had. Mm-hmm. We were announced it was public a few months ago. So I think everybody was under the assumption, well, TOUA got their money. Right. They're ready. You know, we were named with Cox and a few others. Well, they couldn't award us until U.S. Treasury gave mm-hmm. them the money. I mean, they weren't going to give money they didn't have. So you're right. And it, But when publications go out, you know, these ideas start to formulate that, oh, they have money. They should get started. Why are they dragging their feet? Mm-hmm. Well, we really didn't get it. And, you know, so I think that that's, you know, a portion that they need to learn that it's not always because it's announced. I mean, I think they get excited and they want, you know, the publicity. But in reality, we're still waiting on the federal government, too. There's also a dynamic that happens uh, um, all over the place, local governments in uh, non-tribal areas uh, where I feel like you get a big award and people are like, well, why, why is that money all going to them? And, you know, you're talking about you now have a lot of experience with this um, over over all the years and, you know, since uh, Obama, uh, the ARA programs. I'm curious, did you ever run into that where people were like, wow, like you have all this money in a bank account, like we could use it for this, we could use it for that. And they may not appreciate all the reporting character requirements and things like that. Fortunately for us, we haven't had that. But I, I think they, you know, the eyebrows do go up and wonder what does TOUA do with all their money? Mm-hmm. We're audited just like anybody else. Our, our information, our financial information is given to our tribal government to see that you know exactly where every dollar went so Mm -hmm. when it comes to grant dollars um you know you use it up i mean there's a lot of times you end up putting in some of your own because it's not enough right you know you you have different obstacles that you face and like right now the supply chain you know and the cost of everything is going up when we Mm -hmm. applied for these grant dollars the costs were lower and now that we're here fast forward the costs have increased, so you can almost bet you're going to have to start putting in some of your own money in to make sure that the obligation is fulfilled. Right. And even though the project might be expensive, I mean, you're a larger tribe, so the amounts that you got are probably in proportion. But some of the tribes in California might be looking at an amount that is multiple times their yearly budget. Mm-hmm. And that's all coming in one check. And so it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. One last question then. You have a great staff that I've gotten to know somewhat over the tribal broadband boot camps. Um, and um, do you have any advice for like how you've uh, been able to attract and develop that local talent to to get them interested and to to keep having the staff so you're not having to bring in contractors from Tucson or something to get your work done? (laughs) 
it's it's based on trust mainly that supporting each other having open communication i am very very blessed to have the staff that i have especially my leadership the entry level positions are a little more harder to come by it just i think everybody's facing that no one wants to work or whatever reason we're not getting it but you know my my leadership they're very young um but they're very strong when my time has come for me to move on I don't want the decision for my replacement to be made easy. I want them all to apply. I want them all to feel that they mm-hmm. have a chance at it and make it hard for whoever's interviewing to select <laughs> my replacement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, they, they all have a different skill set. I will never claim to know everything. And when I do have meetings, they are usually with me because they're the ones that know, you know, mm-hmm. vendors. I don't generally speak to vendors because you need to talk to my staff who are involved in it and when you sell them they know the process they know where to come for support so that's how i operate and i hope that's why they stay with me and they let me lead them excellent well thank you so much for your time today all right i appreciate it thank you we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org broadbandbits email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show follow chris on twitter his handle is at community nets Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.